Super Talk Mississippi media production. Running a business is tough. If you're struggling with HR benefits and payroll, you're not alone. Many businesses just don't have the resources to keep up. That's where MWG Employer Services comes in. We provide a full range of employer services with everything from payroll to benefits to HR services and compliance and can create a custom plan that fits your needs and budget. We're a Mississippi-based company that can help you focus on what you do best, growing your business. Call MWG Employer Services today at 601-206-7966 or go to MWG Employer Services You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome aboard on this Tuesday afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV, coming to you as always from the Pearl River Resort Studios. Pearl River Resort is the home of the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and that is where we are going to be this Friday from 3 until 6. They've got the ribbon-cutting and the grand reopening of uh, the Dancing Rabbit Inn, which is the hotel right there next to the uh, to the golf course. Also reopening the Pro Shop and the Azaleas course is reopening after some pretty extensive bunker work that they did on the golf course. So make your plans to uh, not just, uh, I mean, if you want to come for the, the ribbon cutting and the grand reopening, you can do uh, that. We'd love to see you. Uh, but this spring, make sure the Dancing Rabbit is part of your golfing itinerary and to uh, book a tea time or plan a trip go to dancingrabbitgolf.com love to hear from you this afternoon on the ceasefire text line at 601-879-4395 601-879-4395 give your business the edge with gigabit fiber internet from ceasefire business it's backed by world-class it professionals who live where you do and that's right here in ceasefire country Check them out online at cspire.com slash business. Thanks for being with us alongside Brian Haydad and Michael Borky. I'm Richard Cross. we got baseball coming up this evening. Got a game in Starkville. Mississippi State is hosting Samford. And in Pearl tonight, for the second time this year, Ole Miss and Southern Miss are meeting up. Ole Miss won the first matchup that was played in Oxford a couple of weeks ago with an 11-5 win. And so they are meeting for round two tonight at Trustmark Park in Pearl, and we'll get into those. Fellas, what's up? Good to be with you. Yeah, in the shadows of a normal-looking Bass Pro Shop. I hope you guys would appreciate that line in the notes today. As opposed to... A pyramid-shaped Bass Pro Shop, yeah. Yes. It is... Nothing wrong with a pyramid-shaped Bass Pro Shop. It's it's, it's iconic. Iconic, yeah. In the same building that uh, Muhammad Ali won a fight... Or is it Ali or, or is Did Muhammad it... Ali win a... There's no way that's right. There's been a lot mm-hmm. of iconic fights in there. I know that. Either well, way. In the pyramid? Yes. Ali, though, no. 
No, not not Muhammad well, Ali. Well, there's then, only there's only one fight of significance that has happened inside the pyramid, and that was the Mike yeah. Tyson Lennox Lewis fight. Okay, um, whatever. You guys are older. You remember that stuff. I, I was like, Ali was before my time. What can I do? Like, yes, I, Ali was before my time. times as well. No way. <laughs> yes. Okay. Hold Ali was this. When's the last time he fought? I mean, he was. I gotta know now. I gotta know yeah. last fight. Muhammad last Ali. fight for Muhammad Ali. December eleventh, nineteen eighty-one. I yeah, would have been you guys six. Were like twelve. No. I was uh, no, thirteen months no. old at the time, so no, I have no recollection oh, whatever. of whatever. Uh, a lot I of have... iconic stuff happened in that building, and where all of that happened, you can now buy some really nice discounted fishing lures. Yeah, spinnerbait, and a whole lot of other things. I'm big Bass Pro Shop. Yeah. I love walking around Bass Pro Shops. I almost never buy anything because I don't need anything, but just walking around and looking at, oh, hey, I like that. I could use that and then not buy it as a, a winter hobby of mine. I remember when the pyramid was under construction. So, good grief. I mean, this takes this goes way, way back. Hey, Dad, we moved to Oxford in November of 1988. I want to say that the pyramid opened sometime around the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, that's um, right. My dad was in the Rotary Club in Dyersburg, Tennessee, and he took me to a Rotary Club lunch somewhere along the way, and the guest speaker at the time was Dave Brown. Now, if you have lived in the Mid-South, you recognize the name Dave Brown. He was the longtime weatherman on WMC TV5. But that's probably not what he was most famous for. He was most famous as the uh, the ringside announcer alongside Lance on Saturday mornings for Mid-South Championship Wrestling that came on Channel 5. And so I wasn't a big wrestling fan, but, but Saturday morning wrestling out of Memphis was kind of a big deal. You would occasionally get Jerry Lawler and you got Bill Dundee and... Jimmy Hart would show up from time to time. You know, there were there were some names in there. Jeff Jarrett, uh, some of those guys. And so I would, would watch that on Saturday mornings. And so I was interested in going to hear, not from the weatherman, but from the announcer. But along with that, that was while construction of the pyramid was going on. And because he was a Memphis guy, he talked some about that, if I remember correctly. So, yeah, the uh, what was it, the Great American Pyramid, I think is what they, they called it initially. Yeah. And yep. uh, November 9th, 1991, it opened. There you go. There you go. Born a year later. Um, yeah. had, the nickname, birthday, had the nickname the oh. Tomb of Doom for Memphis basketball. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. a hard place to play. I saw Ole Miss play a few times That's where there. Penny played. Penny played in, in the Pyramid. You're absolutely right. They had the, yeah. an SEC basketball tournament in the Pyramid one year. They did. That was cool. Yeah. That was really cool. Yeah. So... Yeah, a lot of good memories from that building, but it's not like it was constructed in the 30s, much less the 1730s, Borky. Uh, well, you would relate more to the people of that time anyway. Oh. Oh. What was all the age jokes today? today. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was reminded earlier. like a young, spry 42-year-old. I, I was reminded earlier today, and I, I just told somebody on the text line about that, about my first year here, that I caught... 
daily crap about how I was too young or whatever, daily for basically a year, somebody down the hall reminded me of that. So I'm just uh, it it brought back up the uh, the need for payback. I'm just saying, in the words of the of the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, this old man, if you will, get up out of his chair and gonna choke you by the neck. By the neck, he says. By the neck. I don't know how old you're supposed to feel when you're 42, but I don't think I feel 42. Or if I feel 42, I, it doesn't it doesn't feel old. I, 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 here, I work with young people. I work with young people, so like 40? I'm always around young people. <laughs> We don't well, work I mean, together. like it, it, at the Mississippi State stuff, when I go to the press box, I mean, almost everybody in there is younger than me, and it's, I just I feel, you know, I feel good. I feel young. Yeah. Mentally, I feel young. Physically, sometimes I'm like, eh. I was out playing chase in the yard with two of my three kids last night. Felt great doing yeah, it. Yeah. Oh man, I had one of those moments that I know you guys have had. Uh, I taught James how to dribble a, a soccer ball, and we were going back and forth and back and forth in the yard, like. Not just like a little kid just kicking it and running after it and just kicking it again. I mean, like deliberately, like understanding how to dribble and keep it close to you and run. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the next Pulisic was born right here in Jackson, Mississippi. Let me tell you. <laughs> I mean, he boom took to it right away. There you go, I'm, soccer dad. Yeah, I'm cool with that. I'm I'm cool with that. Yeah. There, there's. Some opportunities to represent the good old U.S. of A. in soccer, considering his genes. I don't know if like basketball's in his future. I just I don't know if the height thing is going to work You're out. Tall? <laughs> not not basketball tall. Put me on a basketball hey, floor, yeah, and I'm short. Good, good point guard height, you know. Uh, a couple of messages on the ceasefire text line 601-879-4395. Jason saw Rush at the pyramid in the early 1990s. Nice. Paul saw Garth Brooks there in the late 90s. That was a big show. I remember a ton of people went to that. I think I went to the SEC basketball tournament in Atlanta that year, and it was going on at the same time, so I didn't get to go to Garth Brooks. Uh, Somebody else tells us Pyramid opened in November of 1991. Uh, I saw the Memphis Grizzlies play at the Pyramid. That's from Chris and Walnut. Yeah, Grizzlies played their first first couple of years, two or three years in there. Uh, before they yeah. made, made the uh, move over to FedEx Forum. So, yeah, a little, little nostalgia there. All of that stemming from Borky pointing out that there is a baseball game being played tonight across the street in the from a Bass Pro Shop. Of a normal-looking Bass Pro Shop. In uh, in Pearl, Mississippi. Ole Miss and Southern Miss tonight. Mike Bianco told us yesterday that Sam DeCoyan would get the start tonight for the Rebels. He's 1-0 and on the season. With a 6.35 ERA, 24 strikeouts, 16 walks. And uh, for Southern Miss, right-hander Billy Oldham gets the uh, the start. 2-1 and one on the year with a 5 ERA, 25 strikeouts, and uh, and 9 walks on the season for him. Southern Miss coming off the uh, the series win over the weekend against... Uh, 5 Jordan ERA, Sun. he must be one of the best pitchers in the world. Can't imagine an ERA that low. <laughs> We're, we're, we're nah. Never mind. Not even gonna do it. No. Not 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 even no, gonna do good. it. We're good. Uh, we're good. And of course, Ole Miss coming off the uh, the sweep at home, being swept at home by um, uh, the Florida Gators. We'll get into the uh, matchup a little bit more, and also what Mike Pianko told us about a change of his pitching rotation coming up this weekend. 
Sports Talk Mississippi, just getting started with you in the Pearl River Resort Studios. The sports. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. Sounds good. On Super Talk Mississippi. Get a message on the ceasefire text line that says, "If you go back to Memphis wrestling, the Mid South Coliseum, man, some memories." He says, "Yeah, I'm older. I I never went I to a wrestling Mid- event at the Mid South Coliseum. Hey, Dad, I don't know if you did or not, but I didn't. I didn't go to any Mid South wrestling at the at the Mid South Coliseum. I saw two Monday Nitros at the uh, Mid South Coliseum." I think the only professional wrestling event, like. Uh, hold on. Well, depending on how you like major league professional wrestling event as opposed to double A, triple A, I went to was at the Pyramid. It was Monday night Raw or Tuesday night Trample or you know Thursday night Thunder or whatever it was. I, I got I got no <laughs> idea what it was, but I went. I had buddies that were uh, full on wrestling dudes, and I went with them to to one match in the Pyramid. Yeah. Yeah. But the, there is a wrestling event, and my guess is some of you listening were there. I'm going to say that this was somewhere between 1992 and 94, 91 and 95. It, it, it's in that window. There was a Mid-South wrestling event on a weekday night. At Tad Smith Coliseum. And they had a, what, what do you call a, a tag team match where you get three on each team? Is it still just six tag man team? Tag. Okay, so it was a six-man tag event that included two Ole Miss football coaches with Jerry the King Lawler as their partner. You're going to remember the coaches, too. Chuck Oakey was the strength coach at Ole Miss. And Chuck Oakey, if you remember this guy, he was, I don't know, 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", just ripped, flat top. And Joe Wickline, who was the defensive line coach, I think, and Jerry Lawler. I don't remember who they tag team against, but of course, Jerry Lawler and the two Ole Miss football coaches won the match inside Tad Smith Coliseum. Of course. I mean, well, not that it was scripted that way. They were just the far superior wrestling trio. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I guarantee there are people that are listening to this radio show right now besides me that were at that event and remember that. I, I want Like a Monday yeah. night or a Tuesday night or something like that. That's I guess cool. they did stuff like that all over the place. Yeah. I, I guess. Yeah. So, anyway. Those are all. The, you, you know, I'm not a wrestling guy, and so I have a I small bank of wrestling memories. But that's Here we uh, go. that is one of them that stands out. What are we this short on sports news on the text line? Here we go. Did that come Here in we, already? Can't 
can't can't we just have a little fun every now? Can't we just talk about stuff? Does, does it have to be oh, this way? Yeah, because honestly, we are that short on sports news right this second. All right, we are. You want? Yeah, we'll spend the next three hours. I'll tell you everything you need to know about how crap baseball is in this state between state and Ole Miss. You can sit there if you start crying, it's on you. We can preview the Samford Bulldogs for. Mm. Three hours. Who, by the way, are a little hot coming into this game in Starkville. They are seven of eight. That's a good program. That's a that's a year in year out good program. Oh, hey, Dad, I got a mm. buddy who sends me a message that says Macho Man Randy Savage was there that night. Oh wow, that's wish I'd been at that. Pulled. That's, I mean, yeah. stars came out. Somebody said they were there, but it was actually late eighties. Oh, see, yeah. Well, I, I mean, high if it, I couldn't have come up to Oxford. If it was late, I mean, it would have had to. It it would have been 1989 if it was late 80s. That's cool. Uh, Wickline was the offensive line coach, not the defensive line coach. Said so they came with Red Parker when Dog Brewer was hired uh, following the '87 season. Yeah. Okay. So Joe Wickline was the, was the offensive line coach, not the defensive line coach. Forgive me on that. I mean, if I'm gonna tag. With two coaches, a strength coach and an O-line coach is probably the way to go. 99% of the time. Okay. Hey, Dad, we got some work to do. I, we may need help from you. We're going to have to crowdsource this. We get a message that says Joe Wickline lives in Aberdeen now where his wife is from. We need to talk to uh, to Joe Wickline about that. About that event. Shouldn't be too hard to I, I get just, hold of them. You know, we, we, we need to work on that and uh, and see what we can come up with. Right. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk TV. James in Hattiesburg says, tell them to turn it and listen to Stephen A. yelling about worthless stuff. Here's now you one. know, Richard. Uh, that sounds familiar at the Tad Pad. Sure, it wasn't more mid-90s. Maybe. Maybe. I, I, I don't remember when. I just remember, I mean, you can go back and figure out when those two guys were on staff and narrow down when it was. Well, Brewers last year is 93. Right. Yeah. So it's got to be before then. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking it was in the 91, 92 range, but yeah. whatever. I saw we're having Jerry this conversation. Lawler. I don't know if you know this or not, but it is WrestleMania week. I did not. I did not. Yeah. Uh, I saw Jerry Lawler and Coco Beware wrestle at the Armory in Oxford in the late 70s. Birdman. The Armory, by the way, Michael Borky, a little history lesson for you, is where we went for the pre-Egg Bowl show this year, where they had the outdoor skating rink. I don't know where that is. You were there. No, I was not. No, he wasn't. It was just me and you. Oh, okay, okay. So across from Cheney's Pharmacy at the corner of University Avenue and Bramlett Boulevard, where it's the open-air city pavilion now, that building used to have metal walls on it. It was the old National Guard Armory before it moved to the conference center where it is now on CISC. You guys are going to hate me for this. I have never once in my life been to a wrestling match, and I have never once in my life watched one. Hmm. Should watch one. I had a video game growing up where I was always sting and just beat the crap out of people. But uh, so th- there was a lot there. But um, no, never watched one. I'll come never down one, one night and we'll, 
Next AEW pay-per-view, we'll watch it at your house. I'll cook. I'll bring some food or something. Uh, thanks for being with us. You uh, you want to be a part of the conversation, you can join us, as many of you are, on the C Spire text line at 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Mike Bianco told us yesterday that the rotation for Ole Miss pitching is changing this weekend, leaving Jack Doherty in the Friday role. Moving Xavier Rivas, who has been the Sunday starter, into the Saturday starter spot and giving JT Quinn his first start in Game 3. He also told us that Grayson Sonier, who has been the Saturday starter, uh, is moving to the bullpen and could and likely would see action in the game tonight against Southern Miss. So I, I tweeted that out yesterday. There are a lot of responses that, you know, said... You know, hard decision, but good decision. Uh, this makes a lot of sense. Tons of talent with Grayson Saunier. You know, hopefully the future is bright for him, but this makes sense for right now. JT Quinn has earned us a lot of a lot of responses. Most of them were positive, and it felt like for a lot of people, it was like, okay, well, they're trying something because it hasn't worked well. Borky, what was your reaction to? That announcement. It needed to happen. Uh, I was talking about it on, on Sunday night with somebody, and, and they asked, you know, do you take him out of the rotation? And I said they should, with, with all due respect to the young man who looks like he has a bright future. He's young. Young pitchers at this level go through stuff. He's not ready yet, and that's okay. I mean, it just, he's not ready yet. But my question back was, well, who do you replace him with? Because Quinn has looked like he's been better, but he hadn't. He didn't have to start against Vanderbilt in Florida. You know, it's it's been midweeks, and, and it's not exactly like he's been super um, consistent with throwing strikes and not putting guys on either. So it's not the the options weren't great for Mike Bianco to replace him with. But you can you just they, they couldn't continue on this road in Game Two of SEC series with a guy that can't get people out, puts too many people on base, and when he throws it over the plate, it's getting hit hard. Uh, you, just, you, you can't continue. You've got to mix it up. And uh, we'll see what JT Quinn has. He's got really, really, really good stuff. And if he is throwing strikes, he's going to get people out. It's just he puts too many guys on base, or at least has so far. But Rivas and, earned the promotion to go from Game 3 to Game 2. He's probably been their most consistent arm lately, at least starting. And yeah. it, they had to do it. And, and JT Quinn's the guy that makes the most sense to try it with. Yes. He is, he's got four starts on the year. They've been midweek starts. He's been okay in that role. He's 3-0 and with nine appearances. And so you, you give somebody else a chance. And, and in terms of who else, well, really the only other option would be Jordan Vera. And he has not fared particularly well this season. Um, Vera's got only 10 strikeouts and seven walks on the year with an ERA above 10. And so in a couple of midweek starts, it hasn't gone particularly well for him. So if you're going to shake it up and try something different, JT Quinn is the guy that makes the most sense. We'll see what he looks like facing off against a desperate Texas A&M team. And he's either going to be pitching for a sweep, a series win, or to avoid a sweep. And so really regardless of what the role is, it's going to be a big stage. Now, back to Sports Talk Mississippi. Say that again. Please say Now, back to Sports Talk Mississippi. Sorry, poorly timed joke, completely inappropriate. On 
Super Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Tuesday afternoon. It's been a little while since we visited with Luke Johnson. He is co-host of the Eagle Hour on Super Talk Hattiesburg and Super Talk Laurel. You can download it as a podcast and, of course, listen online at supertalk.fm. Got Ole Miss and Southern Miss meeting tonight in Pearl, Mississippi for a little baseball action. First pitch tonight for the ball game is at 6 o'clock. You can uh, catch it on the radio on most of these Super Talk or many of these Super Talk Mississippi stations. And uh, Luke, good to see you, man. It's been a little while. How are you? Got the uh, old pollen voice today, but apart from that, man, everything's good here in South Mississippi. I hear you. Uh, you, you can tell it does sound a little bit different. Tis the season for the allergies to be flaring up, kind of, uh, kind of all over the place. Uh, I think we should start with the question that a lot of people have. Scott Barry yesterday when we visited with him um, on, on Sports Talk Mississippi said that he was waiting news of potential suspensions from the Sunbelt Conference office, and if those suspensions happen, that means players could or would be out for tonight's game uh, against Ole Miss and Pearl. What do we know? I mean, unless it's come out since we've uh, started this segment, I haven't seen anything. And yeah, when yesterday on the Eagle Hour, uh, they kind of expected, uh, Scott told us he kind of expected by the end of yesterday to find something out. Hasn't. They usually will release uh, the lineup, you know, an hour and a half to an hour before. So it may be that, um, they're just, you know, holding that close to the chest, but there hadn't been any official announcement that I, that I have seen. Um, it's his birthday today, and kind of the guy that you would expect to be if he was suspended would might be Dustin Dickerson, um, simply because on the uh, the replay, you know, some of the cameras that show that he and the pitcher were, were jawing at each other, um, and uh, Bryce Fowler was actually the one that was ejected. He's a reserve outfielder that will that will uh, you know uh, pinch run, but I, I don't know. The, the difficult thing is Southern Miss was already coming off the bench to celebrate the Wilkes home run before the scuffle started. So unless you're going to, you know, try to pull, you know, three camera angles on an ESPN plus broadcast and see who was actually on the turf and off the turf, Christopher Sargent was running in there, but you, you see him with his arms raised trying to stop what's going on. So, yeah, I mean, it, it could be one guy. It could be more than that. Scott seemed yesterday to, to suspect that there might be uh, more than more than one. Um, but I, I would think that maybe Dickerson might be a guy. But if they, you know, if there's like eight or ten suspensions that come out, that would be outlandish because they're going to have to suspend the entire Georgia Southern pitching staff as well. Yeah, and and I think the point that you bring up about Southern Miss already being out of the dugout is an important one because Scott told us yesterday that you know by rule if you leave your position or you leave the dugout, then you can be suspended. But if everybody was already out of the dugout, I don't know how you suspend guys for leaving the dugout because it's not like they left the dugout for the purpose of getting involved in whatever was happening at uh, at home plate. So we'll see. And it's probably one of those things. I've looked at the Sunbelt Conference website. It's not like there's an announcement there. I haven't seen it anywhere on Twitter. 
So it may be game time before we know exactly who is and who is not available tonight for, for Southern Miss. One other thought on baseball, though, going back to the weekend as a whole, a much-needed series win for the Golden Eagles after losing their opening weekend of conference play and then losing that midweek game last week against UNO as well. Yeah, Scott said it with us, and I think he said it with you as well. I mean, he saw fight, and that's what they did. Even the game that you know that they dropped, um, there, there was still a lot of fight there. And so I think that's what he's been wanting to see. I mean, they rolled over dead Tuesday night against UNO. I mean, it's like they didn't even want to be there. Um, and so the response this weekend was was very good. Christopher Sargent had five hits in three games. Tate Parker had four hits in the loss of uh, game three on Saturday. So uh, it was a team that that you you felt like um, maybe didn't catch their stride, but but things started turning in the right direction. Tanner Hall had an outstanding start, looked like the old Tanner Hall. Um, one one thing for that going in tonight is that Billy Oldham, who um, has been the, the midweek starter. They're going to start him, but probably you'll see a whole staff approach from Southern Miss tonight. They, they're they going to use him like a, I would guess, like a bullpen um, mm-hmm. tonight um, to get his pitches in. Uh, and then because they, they need him on the weekend. Nico Maza hasn't had um, good starts in game three back-to-back weekends. And so they don't want to throw Oldham, you know, six, seven innings tonight, and then he wouldn't be unavailable, would be unavailable for the weekend. So I expect, you know, some of these young pitchers that got thrown in the fire in Oxford a month ago, or, you know, less than a month ago to, to see time tonight uh, against Ole Miss as well. So in that first meeting, Ole Miss won 11 to five, kind of jumped out to an early lead. Southern Miss was able to tighten it up a, a little bit in the, the sixth inning and then Ole Miss kind of pulls away at the end. What does this game mean tonight? Right? Because you, you think about recent years, this has been an important midweek game. It's been a midweek game where Southern Miss has had some success. I think Ole Miss has won four in a row and five of the last six against mm-hmm. Southern Miss. I, I guess that includes the postseason. Obviously, just take that out of the equation. I mean, the stakes are so incredibly high when, when those games were played in Hattiesburg last year. But what does this one mean tonight for for Southern Miss? And it's obviously important for Ole Miss, given the struggles that they've had over the last couple of weekends as well. RPI game. Um, I would say, interesting enough, probably pride plays like third in the ladder of, of importance here, is that it's Southern Miss, Ole Miss, and most of the time that's elevated to the top. What Southern Miss is finding out you know, tonight, what we just talked about with Oldham is, you can't sacrifice the. You can't win the midweek and sacrifice the weekend, particularly on a on a pitching you know front, and um, and so it's an RPI game, um, and and I think um, it, for for Southern Miss usually what would be high priorities, uh, you you got to win two out of three against Troy this weekend. You got to hopefully maybe sweep to get back in this. Um, so for both teams, it will help RPI down and it'll help you know Southern Miss obviously if if they win Ole Miss. Um, is going to to get their RPI bump, but I should say Sunbelt had like eight teams in, inside like the top eighty-five this week. Coastal Carolina and and uh, I think Troy are, are pretty high as well. So uh, Southern Miss may get a little more bump being in the Sunbelt, but it's an opportunity tonight to uh, to win RPI. So stakes are always on the line when these two play. Maybe just the priority of orders uh, slightly changed in years past. Visiting with Luke Johnson, talking some Southern Miss athletics. You got Ole Miss and Southern Miss tonight in uh, in Pearl, meeting for the second time this season. 
Spring practice rolling on. Today's practice, because of mm. some weather in the, the Hattiesburg area, was canceled. They're going to go tomorrow morning instead. What have you learned so far uh, in this extended spring practice that uh, Will Hall likes to go through? Talk to Will today, and again, he just kind of reemphasized his approach. You know, they've been practicing, um, you know, five, six weeks, and he loves that. They go three days a week, um, and it allows him to be more physical and allows him to teach. This dude, you know, he's, you know it from him. He, He just loves football and loves the teaching aspect of it. And so it's, they've been able, you know, he called it football school in, in the words he used us today. And at a scrimmage, um, on Saturday, all three quarterbacks look, look really good. Edwards and, uh, and Wiles and, and Wilkie both look good. Kind of seemed to indicate today that, that Wiles and Edwards have brought a more mature approach, um, just because of, uh, the lack of, of, um, you take Trey Lowe out of the equation. I mean, you know, the, the lack of maturity there, but those guys came from two football programs that, that win a lot of games and, um, this is pretty funny. Your listeners will enjoy this. Holman Edwards actually put up on, uh, on Twitter today. He killed a, he killed a turkey somewhere in the Hattiesburg neighborhood, turkey season, and went and took a picture at the 50 yard line of the rock today. So, so French Camp, Mississippi has, uh, has invaded, uh, Forest County. It's good stuff there, but, but those guys, uh, the locker room likes them. Um, and, and from, from the highlights from practice, Zay Frank's a young receiver from McGee and, and a Rodriguez Clark transfer running back from Memphis has, has impressed some. O-line, um, is looking better. And so Will loves this slow approach. They'll have spring game on, on Saturday, probably 40 or 50 plays, uh, from both the ones and twos. And that's this Saturday. This Saturday. All right. So, uh, if you want to check that out and you're in the Hattiesburg area, I'm assuming that that is open to the public. Anybody can come. It is. So the black and gold game inside the Rock on uh, on Saturday, Southern Miss will bring its uh, spring practice session to an end. Luke, great catching up as always. Look forward to talking to you soon. Bye, right, Richard. You guys have a good day. See you. Luke Johnson joining us on the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. So we are decidedly in a... We don't know what the suspension situation is for Southern Miss baseball uh, based on, I guess, conference and NCAA rules. Uh, if they're going to be down any players in this game tonight, Scott Perry told us yesterday he was awaiting word from the conference. Uh, if he has gotten that word, he has not made it known publicly. And uh, you heard Luke say just a second ago that Oldham is uh, going to get the start tonight, but it's not going to be an extended out- outing for him at all. He is uh, is facing off against Sam Tacoyan, who is making his first start of the season tonight for Ole Miss. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Pearl River Resort Studio. We'll wrap up the first hour of the show when we come back. Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi. Your new home for exclusive sports coverage here in the Magnolia State. How do you like that? I love it. On Super Talk Mississippi. The blues has got a hold of me. I believe I'm getting dizzy. I 
Sad Day as one of the all-time greats for Mississippi State football has passed away. Marty McDole, who is arguably the best receiver in Mississippi State football history. Hey, you can argue that, yes. No, there are a couple other names that you can put in the mix as well. But certainly one of the all-time greats uh, has passed away. Born originally in Pensacola, Florida. Uh, lived in Mobile, Alabama, selected in the second round of the 1981 NFL Draft out of Mississippi State by the Minnesota Vikings. Most recently has been a PE teacher and varsity wide receiver coach at Murphy High School in Mobile, Alabama. He was the first and for the long longest time only 1,000-yard single-season receiver in Mississippi State history. In 2018, Marty McDowell was named to the 2018 SEC Football Legends class. That was um, that happens every year at the SEC Football Championship game. He was in a class that included Sean Alexander from Alabama, Darren McFadden from Arkansas, Ronnie Brown from Auburn, Heinz Ward from Georgia, and uh, and others. That happens each year. Each school puts a nominee up that is uh, recognized during the uh, the weekend of champions at the SEC Football Championship game, but. Hey, Dad, when you look at the, the all-time single-season receiving records at Mississippi State, Makai Polk has the most receiving yards in a single season, and he did that two years ago with 1,046. Marty McDowell, second all-time with 1,035. That was in the 1978 season. And Fred Ross is the only other receiver in Mississippi State history with over 1,000 yards in a single year. He had 1,007 in 2015. And of course, you know, Makai Polk's season, he had what, 110 some odd catches in that season. Marty McDowell only 48 catches, average yeah. nearly 22 yards a reception that year. And to me, the, 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 the biggest head scratcher that is playing in the wishbone, mm-hmm. playing with Emory Ballard and a team that ran the ball more than anything else. And yet he, he found himself in that many opportunities. So yeah, one of the all time greats at Mississippi State played on that 1980 team that everybody remembers that beat Bear Bryant. Uh, when they were number one in the nation and went on to play in the Sun Bowl. Uh, a true legend of Maroon and White and gone a little too soon, for sure. Third all-time in career receiving yards. He had 2,214 receiving yards, 77, 78, 79, and 80. So that would have put him, what, one year with... Um, with John Bond? Yeah, with John at quarterback. I was thinking yeah, about that 1980 80. team. First year, yeah. Because 1980 yeah. was John's freshman year. He would have been with Dave Marler, uh, what, 78, 79, I guess. Yeah, that's, uh, that's incredible stuff from a, uh, from a great player in Mississippi State history. And, uh, we offer our condolences to the friends and family of, uh, of Marty McDowell. When people talk about all time greats at Mississippi State, like whether you're talking about specifically wide receiver, obviously there, but just in terms of offensive players, he's in that group, right? For sure, for sure. I mean, you know, if you said give me the top four in state history, he's probably in that with 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 molds. Uh, I, I would put Makai Polk in there just off that one season because he mm-hmm. holds, he holds the whole record book. And then it's do you want to go? Uh, you know, McDoyle. You, you could go Bumpus. Uh, you got a few guys in there for sure. Fred Ross for sure. So, yeah, he, he's definitely in that conversation of state's greatest receivers. In terms of the the all-time receivers, I mentioned that he was third on the list. So you've got uh, Fred Ross first at 
2,528 yards. Chad Bumpus second at 2,270. And then Marty McDole just behind him with 2,214 in his uh, in his career. That, uh, that 1978 season was special. McDole had 48 catches. First player in Mississippi State history that year with 1,000 receiving yards. Um, just he finished his career with 116 catches. Goes in the in the second round, and Mississippi State at that point just had put almost no receivers in the NFL. I mean, absolutely correct. And on top of that, I mean, think about what college football was in '78 versus now. I mean, 48 catches for 1,035 yards—that would be like 95 catches for 1,900 yards and 15 touchdowns nowadays. I mean, that's the kind yeah. of numbers we're talking about. That's how crazy those numbers were that year. Yeah. And he was a good sized receiver, but he it wasn't like he wasn't the tallest guy on the field. He wasn't the thickest guy. He wasn't a little bitty guy. He's five eleven, one ninety eight. That's what he played at, and looked looked like most everybody else that was on the field. But he played it differently. Got open and caught the ball when you throw it to him. I can't yeah. ask for much more of a receiver than that. Hard to uh, hard to complain about that. So Marty McDowell passes away. He was born nineteen fifty nine. Dies at the age of 63, just uh, about a month and a half shy of his 64th birthday. Uh, and again, our condolences to him. Sports Talk Mississippi got a busy four o'clock hour coming up with you. We're going to talk, uh, talk with Kendall Rogers from D1 Baseball, D1Baseball.com. We'll get his perspective on what in the world's going on with college baseball in the state of Mississippi and also the rest of the SEC. And then a little bit later in the four o'clock hour, uh, Richard Williams will join us, the only Mississippi State basketball coach to take the Bulldogs to a Final Four. Did that in 1996. Talk with him about what this week is like in terms of getting ready to play in the Final Four and just taking care of everything that needs to be taken care of. That's coming up in the next hour. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. Coming back. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back. Four o'clock hour with you. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk TV. Thanks as always for being with us in the Pearl River Resort studio. Visit pearlriverresort.com. To see all that's happening at Pearl River Resort, that's PearlRiverResort.com. Let's go to the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out Favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Kendall Rogers joins us right now from D1 Baseball. You can follow them on Twitter and, of course, D1Baseball.com to read all of the content that uh, is available there. Kendall, we were talking just a second ago before the uh, the segment began, and, and you think this baseball season – not just in the state of Mississippi. We'll get to the state of Mississippi in a second, but across the entire country, I think your word was bonkers. Is that right? Uh, yeah, it's going to be bonkers. I mean, I really think it's going to be very similar to basketball in the sense that you've got the portal, you've got more guys moving around than usual. You remember, you still have the COVID kids, as I call them. You still have some of these teams like Texas State, you know, whatnot, that are like ultra-old I just think it's going to be a, a just a total crapshoot come postseason time. And, you know, it was just a year ago that the, one of the last five teams didn't won the national championship. So I guess, you know, we're kind of used to, to total pandemonium. But I think when you look across the country is, you know, I, I saw the stat the other day from one of our, our stat people at 643 Charts is, you know, like 28% of the games so far this year have been blow, blowouts, which is eight runs or more. 
that is up from like 22% last year. You've got home runs up almost 900 year over year. When you have those two stats present, that just creates a lot of volatility across the country, and I think you're going to continue to see that. Heard people say that the ball is a little bit different this year. It feels like every time home run numbers are up, mm-hmm. people say that the ball is a little bit different. Some of it is because of a, a tighter strike zone and guys are having to throw more strikes. What do you attribute the uptick, considerable uptick in home runs to? Well, I'm going to give the least controversial answer first. Um, I do think weather plays a part. I mean, I think if you look, I think if you look across the country right now, uh, I think we w- we would all admit that it's been a little bit warmer than usual in most places. If you look in the northern part of the country, like Michigan was actually able to play a home game a couple weeks ago. You're seeing, you know, Iowa's been able to play home games earlier than usual. Um, I know being here in Texas, you know, one of the LSU games was cold, but against A and M. But other than that, it's been pretty warm down here. So I think that is a factor. Uh, I do think there are two other things at play. I think number one, I think the there's any, there's no doubt behind the ball is juice. Uh, I still go back to the home run. I think it was like three weeks ago, maybe, a home run that Calvin Harris hit. And, again, I'm not, like, accusing him of doing any wrong, anything iffy here. But, like, the guy, like, barely touched the ball at the bat. And, like, it just kept going and going and going. And I actually ended up going, like, two levels up in the outfield at Ole Miss. And, like, you watch the swing over and over, and, like, it, he didn't hit the ball hard. Like, I've seen – like probably 40 of those already this year. I remember over the weekend I was watching Blake Burke from Tennessee. He had like a 478-foot bomb against A&M. And like I can't – I would have to look, but I bet you there's been 25 home runs hit this year that have been like 450 to 500. Like that's not normal. And so I think the ball is juiced. I think there there's an element too. I think that, that teams – have maybe figured out how to kind of toe the line on the bats and things like that. So I think there are a multitude of factors, but I think the least controversially, I do think it has been warmer than has helped. Has it been warm enough to uh, warrant 900 more home runs? Absolutely not. Um, but does everybody have the stickers on the bat in the proper place? It's a great question. You ask Mike Bianco about that one. I don't know. Maybe I'll ask. I, I just think I think going back to last year. I, well, real quick, I think going back to last year, like so many people accused Tennessee of tampering. Maybe Tennessee was just ahead of the curve, and everybody else is not caught up. Hmm. Maybe, uh, maybe so. Uh, Kittle Rogers, Tennessee apologist, uh, well known on your radio. I know, no, noted. <laughs> make, make just you know. Last week you got me in trouble with all Twitter. Can you tweet at them this week and call me an apologist just to kind of get them off my back? Yeah, yeah, I'll, uh, Thank you. I'll I'll do that. Kendall joining us on the Farm Bureau guest line. If I, I don't want to, I don't want to put these words in your mouth, but something to the effect of maybe Mississippi State was catching Vanderbilt at the right time. Um, yeah, sorry guys. Upon further review. <laughs> oh man. So so I'm just going to say this. Let, let's talk Bulldogs, okay? So, hey, hey, dad's not on here, so he, he, he won't pass out when I say this, but he's on the. Oh, so, here. I'm just going to give you two. Like, my analysis on Hell State does not need to go further than this, guys. If you look at Mississippi State right now, as a Southeastern Conference team, you are ranked 209th in the country in the RA, and you are ranked 225th in the country in fielding. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, I don't care if you've got nine. Uh, you know, Hunter Renfro's in your lineup, you are not winning very many SEC games well into the 200s ERA-wise 
and well into the 200s from a fielding percentage standpoint. You know, it's kind of interesting. You know, we're over here also, you know, pressing the panic button to a lesser degree on Ole Miss. But, you know, Ole Miss is sitting at 19 overall in fielding. They're actually 136 in your race. So all these Ole Miss fans that think, like, their pitching staff's garbage, I mean, they're they're almost 100 points higher right now in ERA than Mississippi State. That just gives you an idea how bad Mississippi State's been. Hey, Dad, do you want to ask the question that Mississippi State fans always love to ask Kendall, or should we just skip that? No, no, I think, I I think yeah. we're good to skip that question this year. <laughs> <laughs> not, yeah, not I really thank you. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I just think this is this weekend again. You know, this series this weekend for them is really like it. Like, I mean, I I just think if you get in that big of a hole in this league, like you're just not coming out of it. And and frankly, I I would love for them to put that on the bulletin board. I'd love for them to use that as a rallying cry. Like, I don't think it's going to happen. Like, I don't think this team has shown me over the last month or so that they have what it takes to turn this season around. And until I see that, I'm not going to believe in it. Well, and but to take that a step farther, so if they don't get it done this weekend, almost impossible to dig out of the hole. But look at who's coming in this weekend. It's South Carolina who leads the team, the, the country, in home runs yeah. against a pitching staff that uh, you documented the struggles just a moment ago. Yeah, it's not a great matchup for them, and. Uh, I guess the one thing about it is you just you know uh, maybe that maybe this is the weekend they finally catch somebody at the right time. It, lo- it looks like South Carolina is going to tinker with Will Sanders a little bit. You know they may move him to the bullpen from the weekend rotation. So in a weekend that they may tinker with things a little bit, maybe you'll kind of surprise some people. But I just think <laughs> you know I kind of thought it last week and they got outscored forty four to eight in three games. But if this is yet another weekend that for me is a gut check time. Like. You know, last week was a gut check time. This is like that times 10. Like, if you go into this weekend and you play lifeless after just honestly just getting embarrassed in front of your home fans, like, you might as well just lock the the locker room door and just go home for the rest of the year. Because if you can't rally after that kind of beating, like, when can you rally, right? All right. So, in another series that has got some pretty high stakes this weekend – Ole Miss goes to College Station to take on Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. You're talking about two Omaha teams from a from a year ago. Ole Miss at 0-6 in the league. Texas A&M at 1-5 in the league. I mean, the, calling a, a, a weekend series do or die or make or break when you've got 80% of your conference games left is is maybe a little bit hyperbolic, but we're getting really close with, with both of these teams, aren't we? Well, we are. I mean, I think at this point I do feel way better about these two teams than somebody like MSU. I do think when you look at Ole Miss, you know, you know, we, we've talked about it over the last month or so. You know, they w- will eventually get Hunter Elliott back. That's going to be a game changer down the stretch. So I just think if you're Ole Miss, you can you can kind of get a series on the road this weekend. I think you're, you're starting to feel a little bit better about yourself. And, yeah, they haven't knocked the cover off the ball in conference play, but we've seen these guys hit before. I have zero doubt they're going to hit. Uh, they need to pitch better. But, you know, again, things will change when Tanner Elliott's back. I think for A&M, uh, I, I kind of go back to last week, and I thought last week when we talked that that series for Tennessee was bigger at home. I think this series this weekend is a little bit bigger for A&M. I think, you know, if you're A&M and you don't take care of business in two, two of three series of star conference play at home, uh, you're in trouble. And so 
yeah, you know, and, and I, and I'm kind of in the same boat with A&M as I am Ole Miss. I think A&M is one of those teams too that I think they will get better as the season progresses. But they're kind of the point now, especially when you look at their overall like goal is to to get to Omaha and to host and things like that. Like you're starting to get to the point where if you struggle this weekend, like getting to a record where you can host is going to be difficult for both teams. Hey, you got t- time to hang on for one more today? Yeah, let's do it. All right, we'll uh, continue to talk with Kendall Rogers from D1 Baseball. When we come back, I'm going to ask you about something, and, <laughs> and maybe this is even counterintuitive. I was talking with Scott Strickland, the head baseball coach at Georgia, uh, a week or so ago, and uh, asked him about the state of the league, and he said it's the best that it's ever been, and he said I feel like I've been saying that for each of the last five years. We'll, we'll ask Kendall about the overall SEC when you think about South Carolina undefeated, LSU as elite as any team we've seen in college baseball in a really long time, Missouri better. Looks like Tennessee is going to be okay. Arkansas, they got one against LSU last weekend. What's Ole Miss going to do? What's Texas A&M going to do? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We'll talk about that when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi, visiting with Kendall Rogers on the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. We'll be back right after this. Mississippi. Hey guys, what's happening? What the heck are you doing? Sports Talk Mississippi on your radio and in the game. Sports Talk Mississippi. Continuing our visit with Kendall Rogers from D1 Baseball, talking all things SEC. We spent some time on Ole Miss and Mississippi State individually. Let's kind of widen our focus a little bit to the uh, to the entire league. LSU, this um, th- this LSU team, they've lost a couple of games in the league, um, but they are scary one through nine in the order, or at least one through seven in the order. Um, Paul Skeens on the front end of that rotation. I mean, I don't know if you were surprised that Arkansas won that game. It was, the, 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 the Friday game score was misleading for how that game actually went on Friday where Arkansas gets the win. Um, Have you seen anybody like Paul Skeens? I mean, I I know Schloss a couple of weeks ago compared him to to, uh, to, uh, Strasburg. Um, Mm -hmm. I think Dave Van Horn said he's the best college pitcher that he's ever seen. What what, do you compare him to? I think Strasburg's a great cop. You know, because Strasburg, you know, back then – he looked like a big leaguer. Like the stuff was excellent. The, 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 the body was tall. And he, I mean, he looked like a 30 year old man. And uh, I feel like Skeen's the same way. Like when he's on the mound, he just, he looks like he's it's kind of a strange way to put it, but like he looks like he's more of a man than like the rest of the guys on the field. And you know, the thing about the, the I kind of go back to this one at bat that Skeen's had against an all American Austin Bose of A&M a couple of weeks ago when I was in college station. And I mean, it was, dude, it was one or two. Outside corner with with run to the glove side on the fastball. It was one one on one with glove side run on his fastball, and then the exact same spot he he pops in a sweepy eighty five an hour slider. And like I'm not even kidding you, like both literally look at all three pitches and just shook his head. And like you just don't see many many pitchers in college baseball to where they're so good that the hitter like a guy that's a well accomplished all American hitter is just like dude I can't hit that. 
And, you know, even Arkansas last week, like, when they got hits, you could tell they were just totally guessing. Like, that's pretty much all you could do against that, guys, is go up there and guess and hope you guess right. With that said, I will say this about LSU. As much as I like their offense, as much as I like Paul Skeens, um, they still have some work to do. Um, I'm still not sold on Ty Floyd in the week in rotation. I'm obviously still not sold on Thatcher Hurd. And we all know, um, you know, just ask Arkansas in that super regional with Tennessee State, all it takes is, is one bad game or two bad games, even with a good offense, and all of a sudden you're sitting at home as Tennessee last year. So uh, LSU is not a finished product, but they're really good. Brandon Finnegan, TCU, left-handed pitcher, 2015. Pitches in the College World Series. Gets drafted. Gets called up. Gets to the big leagues and is on the World Series roster for the Kansas City Royals that same season. Could Paul Skeens get drafted after this season and end up in the big leagues before the year's over? Well, his workload may keep him from doing that, but could he go there, compete, and actually do well? Absolutely. There's no question in my mind. I mean, to me, he's by far and away the best pitcher in college baseball. And I would argue that you could take the top five or six arms in college baseball prospect-wise, throw them in the big leagues, and I think most of those guys would have success. Wow. All right, so what about – I feel like Florida is kind of going about their business quietly right now. It's a, a really solid yeah. rotation with Sprout and Waldrop and then Caglione. Uh, Jack Caglione is elite defensively. He is leading the country in home runs at this point. There are a lot of good pieces. They're good defensively in the outfield. Just okay defensively on the infield. Is this Florida team a vintage Florida team kind of rewinding five or six years to when they were mainstays in Omaha? I think so. They might even be better. I mean, I think when you look at Florida overall, I think they're really balanced offensively. Um, they can beat you with power. They can beat you a variety of, a variety of ways. There's more depth of this lineup than even the national championship team. Because, I mean, if you look back at that team, you had guys like Mike Zunino, Nolan Fontana, and guys like that. But, like, you know, the bottom of the lineup is not, you know, it was not a lineup that you went, oh, man, this, this is really scary. I do feel like this lineup top to bottom is pretty scary. I think they certainly have enough on the mound. They've got enough, you know, out of the bullpen. Uh, I, I, I do think this is a national championship caliber club. And it's kind of funny. It's funny that you mentioned they're under the radar. Cause then I'll, and I'll just go ahead and say this. I was talking to Sully back, I don't know, mid February. And he made the joke, and then knows Sully well. I know he didn't mean anything, you know, ill intent by it. But he said, "Hey, keep talking about LSU, but you'll be talking about Florida in a couple of months." And mm-hmm. like he's right, like Florida's a really, really good team. You could you could argue they're just as good as LSU or Wake Forest, without a doubt. All right, so a couple of teams that people I don't think expected a ton from coming into the year, based on what they've done in recent seasons. Missouri has 10 wins in the league a year ago. They've looked pretty good. They get the sweep of Tennessee. They get swept on the road this weekend. Um, but that seems like a better ball club. And then you got South Carolina sitting there at 6-0 and on top of the East. Yeah, Missouri is a solid club. You know, I liked them opening weekend at Globe Life, but I was wondering if they had staying power. Um, I think if they don't have two starting pitchers come out with injuries early in the games against South Carolina, I think they win that series. I mean, they almost won that series without those two guys. And so, 
But the good news for Missouri is it sounds like Chandler Murphy, their their Friday starter, will be back. Sounds like he had a bite, like a bicep cramp or something like that. Well, and he's probably going to miss this weekend. But when he back. came out of the game, Kendall, his reaction, and you thought, well, he's done. Yeah, exactly, and that's kind of what I thought. But it sounds like they they told me that it's it's nothing to be too too worried about. Um, Ian Losey, uh, is, you know, they still have tests pending on him, and it sounds like they're cautiously optimistic that he will be back in a couple of weeks. So. I think if you have those two guys back, and you throw in Roy Malfred and, and guys like that, you know, Austin Trosser and Zach Franklin, I still think you have enough pieces to have a good year and get to a regional. So they, they're certainly much better. Um, I think South Carolina, for me, the thing I like about South Carolina is a lot of the games that they lost last year, they're winning this year. They're winning these close games in the ninth inning. They're getting beat, big hits from Ethan Petrie and guys like that when they need them. Uh, you know, Will Sanders – really hasn't been an all-American type of pitcher like he can be, and they still got, what, 23 wins? So I have no doubt that he's going to figure things out, and once he does, that's going to make them even more dangerous. Kendall, the uh, the Kentucky Wildcats are, uh, are, are pretty good. Uh, they're the number one RPI team in the country at, uh, at this point. They're 21 and three overall. They've played the eighth most difficult schedule. Is Kentucky for real? That's another. That's another one for me that like I'm kind of looking at seeing that they have staying power. You know, we, we joked earlier about getting teams at the right time. I think they actually are getting teams at the right time. Like they got Mississippi State when State was, was obviously very iffy. They got Alabama on the road after Alabama had a tough series loss to Florida. You know, when everybody else in Tuscaloosa was thinking about the NCAA tournament, so they're catching teams at the right time. But give them a lot of credit; they've been really balanced top to bottom offensively. They're doing enough on the mound. And a little bit like South Carolina, you know, they're getting it done with a lot of transfers. You know, a lot of people looked at A&M last year and went, oh, hey, you know, A&M went from, a, you know, a team that didn't make the postseason to a Final Four team in one year. Why? Because they went out and got older, experienced guys from other programs. Both UK and South Carolina have kind of followed the same formula. And so maybe it's not too shocking that both those teams are having a lot of success. Kendall, always appreciate your time. Good catching up with you this afternoon and look forward to visiting with you again next week. This is certainly a fascinating college baseball season. Yeah, y'all have a good one. Hey, Dad, I hope everything gets a little bit better this weekend, big guy. <laughs> hey, thanks, Kendall. I appreciate that. Kendall Rogers. <laughs> y'all be good. From D1 Baseball. Follow them uh, on Twitter, also D1Baseball.com. It's where you read all the content. I, I, I feel like he was saying that, but then he laughed right after he said it. Hey, Dad. No, no, he meant it. He, he was just—he's just so warm-hearted. I appreciate it. Everybody talks about how Kendall hates everybody. Not true. Not true. No. Kendall's a loving, giving soul, and a guy that loves college baseball. And you know, oh, Kendall yeah. Rogers and D one baseball. Uh, I mean, Kendall's kind of the kind of the name at the top of the masthead there. When, when they made the commitment to cover college baseball the way it is being covered, nobody else was doing that. I mean. You've got other publications that cover the game, but there's nobody that does it like D1 does. And uh, for those of us that love college baseball, it's been uh, really, really cool to see their growth over the uh, the last few years. All right, we are going to switch gears entirely from college baseball to college basketball. Hey, Dad, I had a great idea when we were talking earlier today. Uh, let's get Richard Williams on the show. He uh, was Mississippi State's coach in 1996, Bulldogs making their only trip to the Final Four. Hey, Dad said, hey, do we know anybody that played has played in the Final Four? And I kind of thought, he's like, hey, what about coached in it? 
What are these teams going through as they get ready for a trip to Houston this week? What all has to happen this week off the floor so that you can get your team ready to be its best on the floor? Because goodness knows there are plenty of distractions when uh, you get as far as the uh, the four teams uh, that are playing this weekend have gotten. We'll talk with Richard Williams on the Farm Bureau guest line coming up next. This is Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Pearl River Resort Studio. Sports Talk Mississippi, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Good conversation with Kendall Rogers from D1 Baseball joining us on the Farm Bureau guest line. That's where we will stay right now, but uh, different sport, different topic. Richard Williams joins us, former head basketball coach at Mississippi State, took them to the Final Four in 1996, and he is the current color analyst on the Mississippi State Basketball Radio Network. Coach, I know you're into your uh, your offseason from basketball, so I appreciate you spending a few minutes with us uh, this afternoon just after five o'clock on Saturday, Florida and Atlantic, uh, Florida Atlantic and San Diego State will tip off the final four. Then in the nightcap, Miami and UConn will play. We'll get into the matchups on the floor coming up in a minute. But I'm curious about all of the stuff this week leading up to tip off because it feels like for coaches and players and staffs and families, this is a week that. Whether you want it to be or not is different than anything that teams go through at any other time of the year. Is, is that accurate? Well, it was for us, Richard, obviously. Uh, you know, the only time that uh, Mississippi State had been to the Final Four. And I think for all the first-time schools, it's, it's so much different uh, than you can anticipate. Uh, the media coverage, uh, the national media coverage, uh, interviews, radio interviews, TV interviews, ticket requests. Everybody wants to know if you have a hotel room that they can get. It's just so much different. And, and for us, uh, once we won the regionals and came back to Starkville, uh, then the next week was like a whirlwind. I mean, we had national media in Starkville. We had to set up interview stations out on the, the Coliseum floor uh, and things like that, just things we've never dealt with. And, and that's one reason I think coaches that go back the second time and multiple times, you're much more prepared for everything involved in the final four. You know, it, it, it's interesting when you look at this year's field, UConn's been there, right? I mean, they've got four national championships since 1999, but they haven't been there with this coaching staff. And I heard uh, an interview that uh, – uh, that Dan Hurley was doing earlier in the week where he said he has reached out to, to Jim Calhoun, obviously, to talk to his team on multiple occasions. But he's talked to Jay Wright, and he's talked to Mike Krzyzewski, and he's talked to other coaches who have been there and said, help me understand how to manage my time and manage our team's time this week. Uh, and I think that's smart on his part. I wasn't smart enough to do that, obviously. 
So I didn't know what to expect. Uh, but I think it's very smart on Danny Hurley's uh, part to reach out to those coaches that have been to the tournament, especially those veteran guys that have been there multiple times. So they can kind of prepare him for what to expect. But even being prepared, or you think you're prepared, you're not prepared because you don't know what's go- what it's going to be like until you're there. But I, I do think it's a little bit different for us, Richard, because, you know, we're in a small Mississippi town, not a lot of media coverage. Uh, it, it's just different. Uh, you know, Connecticut, as you said, they, they've been there. They've won a national championship. Uh, they're used to national coverage with the men's program and the women's program. And another thing for us, if you remember, we were in New York City. Uh, that's different than going some other places. So yeah. We fly, of course, we actually were staying in, in, across the river in New Jersey. That's where the tournament was held. But we get off the bus at the hotel, and the first thing, I, I step off the bus, and Mike Tarico of ESPN standing there putting the microphone in my face, wanting to do an interview. Uh, it, it's just different. And, and coming from where we came from, with very little media coverage relative to other schools, uh, it, it was so much different for us. And I don't think that it'll be that different for some of the others. Now, FAU uh, could be in that same situation. Uh, uh, you know, they're, they're not a national program. Uh, they're, they're a small school, uh, and so not used to those things. But uh, on a side note, I'm really pulling for FAU because the coach there is a, real, a personal friend of mine. And I've known Dusty a long time, and we've coached together, and, and uh, I really hope they're able to pull it off. don't know if they will, but I'd really like to see them win it. So tell us a little bit more about Dusty May. Well, I first met Dusty, and he said he remembers this. I don't remember this. Dusty was a manager at University of Indiana when Bob Knight was a the coach there. Okay. And after I retired, I called Coach Boyd, who was a very close friend of Bob Knight, and Coach Boyd, who I'd worked for, and I said, Coach, can you arrange for me to go visit Coach Knight? I want to watch his practices and all those kinds of things. So uh, long story short, it worked out. I could go. Uh, and I was involved in watching practices, film sessions, went on a recruiting trip with Coach Knight and all those things. Well, Dusty was a the manager there at that time, and he, he remembered that. And then it just so happened at some time later, Mike Davis was assistant Indiana at that time. When Mike Davis became the coach at UAB, he had me come over for a season as a consultant. Dusty was on his staff at that time. And so we got to be really good friends because we worked together that year. And then when Kerry Rupp was hired as a coach at Louisiana Tech, he hired Dusty at Louisiana Tech. And then Dusty had Kerry Rupp bring me in as a consultant for about a month during that season. Uh, so, you know, we really got to know each other, and I saw Dusty work. I know how good, good of a coach he is. And then when Mike White got the job at Louisiana Tech, he did not know Dusty May. Dusty was there on the staff, and so Mike called me and asked me for a recommendation for Dusty. And I, I recommended him as highly as I could recommend anybody. And Mike kept him, and then, you know, the rest is history. He went to Florida with Mike, and now is at uh, Florida Atlantic. And so, you know, we have a long history going back. And I think he's an outstanding coach, an outstanding person, a great family man. Uh, and I, I just think it would be such a great story for FAU to win the national championship. Visiting with Richard Williams, uh, coached in Mississippi State. You know that, color analyst on the state radio network. So, my guess is that you would maybe be a little sensitive to this question because you've been in the coaching business. But you also know that it's volatile. So when you look at Dusty May, he, he's at FAU. The, the ability to sustain the level at which they are winning right now seems unlikely, regardless of how good a coach he is, because it's been a magical run for them. If there is an opportunity for him to 
elevate himself to a, to a better job. Do you do you owe it to yourself to try try to strike while the iron is hot, or can he be really careful about where he goes and stay put for a little while longer without losing any of the the brightness of his star? Well, Dusty and I've actually talked about that very thing, Richard. And uh, I don't you you're probably aware of this. At one time, Dusty was thought of to be maybe one of the front runners for the Ole Miss job. Yeah, uh, and Dusty and I talked about it at length. And uh, you know, Dusty's response to me was. You know, I love Boca Raton, and what's not to like about living in Boca Raton? It's a good spot. And and he said, you know, said Coach, I grew up poor, said I'm making more money than I've ever made, thought I'd make in my life. My my wife, my family, my boys, they love Boca Raton. I love our players. I love the kind of guys we can recruit. He said, and how much money does it take to be happy? And and this is typical of Dusty May, one of his former mentors, I won't mention, said. Thus, you've got to take a job like that if it's offered. It, it means your kids will never have to work again, the money you'll make. And Dusty said to me, that's just what I want to do, raise a bunch of deadbeat kids. <laughs> that, that gives you an idea about Dusty May. Now, whether he'll take another job or not, I can't speak on that. I know he's very happy at SAU, though. Well, and a, a heck of a basketball coach, and what an incredible story uh, that, that FAU is. When, when you look at the, the matchups, the UConn-Miami game, Jim Laranega's been in the business for a really long time. I'm sure you've got uh, some uh, familiarity with him from, from your years in coaching as well. Uh, and then Danny Hurley, who we talked about a, a second ago, uh, who has just done an incredible job turning that UConn program around in, in short order. What do you think about that matchup in, in the night game of the, the first day? Well, obviously Miami's really good, uh, and, and I do know Jim Laranega. We actually played them when I was at Mississippi State when he was at Bowling Green, and they mm-hmm. beat us. And then uh, Jim was a, a, also a Nike coach, and we, we were together a lot on some of the Nike trips because he was close friends with Dave Odom, who's a very close friend of mine. So we hung out together some, so I know Jim a little bit. Uh, great coach, great person. Uh, his team is really good. They're obviously very perimeter-oriented. Uh, but from what I've seen of UConn in the tournament, I didn't watch UConn at all during the regular season, but during the tournament, I think they're the best team. Uh, and if you look at their scores, I mean, they're, they're annihilating people in the tournament. The games aren't even close. And, and they're good in the perimeter. They're good in the post. Uh, and, and he's very demanding, uh, very detailed in what he does. And, you know, some people might not know, but Danny Hurley is Bobby Hurley's brother who played at right. Duke. Their father, Bob Hurley, Longtime coach at uh, St. Anthony's, a prep school up there in New Jersey, and he's one of the few, if maybe the only high school coach ever inducted in the National Basketball Hall of Fame. So the Hurley brothers come from a great coaching background, and and Danny Hurley is a, a outstanding coach, and I think he has great talent. I think they're the best team left. Should we be excited about this Final Four? Because it doesn't have Duke, doesn't have North Carolina, doesn't have Kansas, Michigan State, some of those blue blood names. It's it's a little bit different feel this year. No one seeds, no two seeds, no three seeds. How excited should we be? Well, personally, I can be really excited because I've always pulled for the underdog because okay. we were always the underdog. And, and so I pull for those kinds of teams. So personally, I'm excited about it, but I'm excited about every Final Four because I love basketball. Now, Casual fans uh, that that are just not really locked into basketball day after day after day, maybe they won't be as excited because none of the teams, other than UConn maybe, you know, have that national reputation. They're new teams, new coaches, uh, people you're not familiar with. But I think that gives this Final Four a, 
just a, a taste of its own, if you will, a, a, a different different vibe about it. And I kind of like that. I like to see some of the other teams that aren't as nationally known uh, get involved and have the success they're having because that's kind of the way we always work. Coach, always appreciate your time and appreciate your perspective and your stories. Good catching up and look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks so much, Richard. That's Richard Williams, former head basketball coach at Mississippi State, led them to their only Final Four in 1996, played that one in an arena, not in a football stadium. We'll wrap up the 4 o'clock hour when we come back. Can you feel it? Can you hear it? Sports Talk Mississippi. Yeah! On Super Talk Mississippi. Interesting conversation with Richard Williams. Tell me more about Dusty May. Oh, yeah, I've known him since he was a manager for Bob Knight at Indiana and then worked with him at multiple places along the way and was one of the reasons that he got hired or was kept on staff at Louisiana Tech with Mike White and then went with Mike White from Louisiana Tech to Florida and has gone from Florida to FAU as the uh, the head coach and now has the FAU Owls. That's the Florida Atlantic University Owls in the Final Four. That doesn't happen. When have we seen it, right? We saw George Mason in the Final Four. Who was coached by a guy that took his team to this Final Four. I believe uh, that coach was Jim Laranega, was it not? Yes, sir. Um, 73 years young. No, man, that's... Did Florida Atlantic Wichita State to the Final Four with Greg Marshall, yeah. maybe. But even those schools had like a little bit of basketball tradition, right? Wichita State had been good for a few years and then finally made the leap. Florida Atlantic's out of nowhere. I mean, I remember Borky when we were talking about it, made for the old Miss job, saying like, "Do you want to take a a chance on a guy who's never been to the tournament because they had never been prior to this year?" Correct. That is correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's like hitting a hole-in-one first time on the golf course. I mean, I I told the anecdote from a story about him yesterday that he took the job sight unseen, and then when he got there, he got emotional in the bad way because he thought, I can't win here, and this is career suicide. That's the situation that he walked into at Florida Atlantic. That Florida Atlantic... Is exactly why I continue and will continue to push back on this. There's no brands. This sucks idea. As a college sports fan, it should make you feel really good that we have a system in place where a Florida Atlantic can get to this point. Like, I understand that it's FAU and not FSU. And if, apparently, for some people, if it was Florida State, it would be more enjoyable. But we live in a state where our teams are not, baseball aside, in the, the two sports that get national attention, football and basketball. How long have we ever been at the top in Mississippi of that sport? When, when, it, when did it happen last year? 1962? When my dad was one year old? That, that's what we're talking about here. And so we've we've got a situation 
albeit unique for the most part, we have a tournament, a championship tournament, where Florida Atlantic can make it to the Final Four. And we have Ole Miss fans and Mississippi State fans and Southern Miss fans saying, oh, this Final Four stinks because there's no brands. You should want a scenario in which the non-power brands can make a run like this. This is great for college sports as a whole. I don't care that it's not Florida State. I'm just glad that somebody that is not a Florida State can make it mm-hmm. to this point. And, and Okay, so, so for FAU it took an incredibly special season. Yes. And then winning their conference tournament. So so they went into the tournament with a record of 30-3. and three. Now, we all believe that they would have gotten in regardless, but they would have not gotten in as a 9 seed if they had not won their might conference tournament. They would have been an 11 or might have been in Dayton in a play-in game. They didn't get that. So they might got a 9 Mississippi seed. State. So think about this. It doesn't take... Mississippi State or Ole Miss going 30-3 and three through the conference tournament to get a nine seed. Going to be a nine seed out of the SEC. You play a pretty good schedule, and you go 21-11. and 11. So you're 21-11, and 11 and you're a nine seed, and then you end up with, okay, so now let's also talk about some good fortune along the way. They beat Memphis in a one-point game in an 8-9. To start the tournament. Great win. And, and there were some questions about possible officiating errors, which I think fall on deaf ears, but there, there were. If That's one fine. thing goes another way, then they're out in the first round. And then who do they beat in the second round? Fairley or Fairley Dickinson. <laughs> Fairley Dickinson in the second round, who knocked out Purdue, who was a one seed. Now, if Purdue had somehow figured out a way to beat Fairleigh Dickinson, would we be talking about FAU playing in the Final Four? No idea. Don't know if this FAU team would have knocked off the one-seed Purdue in the second round or not. They didn't have to. All they had to do was beat the 16th seed. You just have to beat the team that's in front of you. So they got good fortune there. And then they beat a good Tennessee team by seven. And then they beat not only a good, but a hot and a physical and an athletic Kansas State team in the Elite Eight. And so now they're in the Final Four. Yeah, there's nothing fluky. Uh, okay, this no, run... There, there was that, good fortune. There, of course. There, but, but, but the fact is, good fortune happens for teams that make runs in the NCAA tournament. It's not always you get to face a 16 seed instead of a 1 seed in the second round. It might be that you have a 13 that beats a 4. And so you catch a little bit of a break there playing a 13 who used all their energy in the first game and then you knock off a 13 in the second round and somebody else knocks the 1 seed. Yeah, you get what I'm saying. Everybody that makes a run has good fortune in the tournament. It's been a magical run, though, for FAU. I listen to it at work. At work. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi. On Super Talk Mississippi. Did you get that memo? Yes, sir. Final 
o'clock hour with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Thanks for being with us in the Pearl River Resort studios. Pearl River Resort, the home of the sportsbook, the Golden Moon Casino. Learn more online at pearlriverresort.com. You can be a part of the conversation on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. Visit C Spire online at cspire.com to find out why they are customer-inspired. With faster 5G nationwide, fiber, Internet, and more places, world-class business IT solutions, indeed, Welcome to Seaspire Country. Alongside Michael Borky and Brian Haydad, I'm Richard Cross. We've got plenty coming up with you in the 5 o'clock hour. We'll uh, give you lineups for games tonight. We'll talk a little bit more about the baseball match. Sole Miss, Southern Miss getting started at 6 o'clock tonight in Pearl, Mississippi State at San- and, uh, and Samford in Starkville. 6.30 first pitch for that ball game Closer to the start of the Final Four, but right now we pause all of that for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Time is running out for Truck Month. It's your time to get behind the wheel of an F-150 F-Series. Best-selling trucks in America for 46 straight years. You can also check out the all-new Ford Super Duty, or if you're looking for a pickup, try out the Ranger or the Maverick, all at your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Simple question, maybe without a simple answer. What have we learned so far about the football teams in Starkville and in Oxford this spring? Still early. Lot of lot lots still to be hashed out. A lot of guys not participating because of injuries or whatever, workload, what whatever the reason. A lot of new faces in Starkville, a new coaching staff at Ole Miss, a new defensive coordinator, and some new faces on the defensive side of the ball, staff wise and player wise. Feels like there is the opportunity to learn a lot, and yet we're still relatively early. So, hey, Dad, let's start in Starkville. So far, you were there on Saturday, talked with Zach Arnett, saw some of practice. What have we learned so far about Mississippi State? <clears throat> well, you you won't believe this, but Will Rogers is picking things up pretty quickly. Uh, he, you know, who would have guessed that a veteran quarterback could slide into a new offense and not have a whole lot of uh, of issues with it? Uh, and that's been one of the good stories so far, for sure. Uh, the emergence of some players, a guy like Jordan Mosley, who's a transfer from Northwestern, uh, who last year when he could practice, you know, early on, you thought, okay, he might make an impact, and then he just battled injuries all season long. He he is a guy right now that looks like he is pushing for a starting job at wide receiver, along with Tulu Griffin and, and Justin Robinson. And then defensively, you know, there's just. So much experience in that front six. It's all about you know who, who's going to play behind them in the secondary, and the, and the new faces there. Um, and you know, talking to Arnett on uh, on Saturday, he was asked specifically about his safeties, and he feels like he's got guys you know that can compete in the SEC. That he's he's got guys that he feels comfortable putting out there against teams like Alabama, LSU, Ole Miss, and and, and being able to win battles out there. So. Those are, you know, the big questions for me coming in were how does Rodgers work in this offense and how does the defense, you know, who do they find to play in the secondary? And so far it feels like they're finding some answers back there. 
Have you seen enough yet to feel like you know that you can describe what, quote, this offense, close quote, is? I mean, I've watched some uh, some some film from, or not film, I you know, watch YouTube clips of App State and things like that, and some of the stuff they do, and, it, you know, it's multiple is such a cliched word, right? You know, they say we're multiple. Everybody's multiple. Nobody just lines up in the wishbone every play. So that being said, you know, I think you're going to see the receivers play a bigger role in the running game this year. Tulu Griffin's going to get handoffs. He's going to see some jet sweeps. He's going to see some, some, some quick, some quick screens, not downfield, you know, behind the line of scrimmage. Um, I'm interested, and this is the one thing I don't know right this second is is with what Mike Wright brings to this offense. You know, I don't think he comes to Mississippi State without having some sort of guarantee of of playing time because he was you know the transfer. So I you know what does the package for Mike Wright look like? What are the play calls for Mike Wright look like? Do they have a package with him and Will Rogers on the field at the same time where you line him up a receiver? Can he play that position or is it just going to be as a decoy? That's something I I don't really know, but. I mean, I expect this offense to be, you know, a little more traditionally balanced. You know, Mike Leach always said that, you know, balance is just about being able to do what you want when you want. I think this is more of you're going to see run, you're going to see pass. Run will set up the pass. Pass will set up the run. I think they'll definitely be more vertical than they, they have been in years past, which, you know, to me, you know, that's one of the big questions around Will Rogers, right, is can he can he work that deep ball? Can he get the ball down the field, you know, in the passing game? If he can, that's going to be a, a big plus for him uh, as a player. Porky, when we asked that question about Ole Miss, most people would immediately go to quarterback. I don't know if it's time to do that yet. So, so let me throw. It you... might be actually because we we got some more uh, clarity on the health of one of them. So, if so, one of these days you were off. We we talked about this, but we've talked about it when you were here as well. Back in January and February. I, I was I was asking as many people as I could and kind of openly opining on this show about the health of Spencer Sanders. I had heard that he re-aggravated that injured shoulder from last season, and I couldn't get anywhere. He was working out with the team, but I heard that he wasn't really throwing that much and that he re-aggravated the shoulder and something was up there. Uh, turns out that is absolutely true. Uh, Sanders himself mentioned that he is not 100% yet. Kiffin said today uh, that he is limited. Uh, in practice for what they ask him to do. I have heard that uh, he's he's not doing much uh, compared to the other two quarterbacks. And so between that and then what Kiffin said today about how Dart, uh, with the, the addition of those two guys, uh, Howard and Sanders, has really pushed him and he's grown mentally and he's the most improved player on the team and all that. If it's a quarterback competition, it hasn't begun yet. And there's only so many chances that Spencer Sanders will get to unseat the incumbent starter that has apparently already won over the team in the locker room, who already has been in the system for a year and been a starter. It's hard to come in and unseat incumbent starters anyway, but if you're not 100% in practice, you only have so many practices between now and when the season begins. And I know it's March, but that that is still a significant development in this, this competition if one of the guys in the competition has a banged-up shoulder and the coach admits, who doesn't really give that kind of information ever, he's like all the rest of them that embellish that kind of stuff, calling him limited, then it, it hadn't even begun yet. 
Lane Kiffin today said it's been great for Jackson with the competition. He's looked great, and it's not natural to want competition, but he's been better physically, and we're excited about what we've seen from him so far. One of the most important guys out there, talking about his quarterback, Jackson Dart, or at least his quarterback last year, Jackson Dart. Um, About Spencer Sanders, he says... We've limited what Spencer has been able to do medically. We're looking at the long term there. He's done a good job with the system and mental and physical has been good. With Spencer limited reps, Walker Howard has had a lot of opportunity and he's done well. His energy and leadership skills are good. He lifts other players and has done really well. Everybody that has been to a practice that has seen Walker Howard throw the football has walked away. I say everybody. That's a broad brush with which to paint. I've heard a lot of people who have seen Walker Howard throw the football for the first time in person walk away going, oh, wow. Consistency with the deep ball, the ability to push it down the field, confidence standing in the pocket, can make all of the throws. And this is from a guy that's not expected to be the starting quarterback this year. Yeah, He is expected to be the backup quarterback this year. However it finishes with Jackson Dart and Spencer Sanders, Walker Howard is expected to be the backup quarterback at Ole Miss this year with the future kind of belonging to Walker Howard. I do think there's one really interesting position to watch and something that we have learned already from spring. The transfer portal pickup at tight end from Memphis appears to be a big deal. Cade Priestcorn already has had a good spring and has wowed some people. And I think that's important for two reasons. One, he's going to be able to make plays in this offense. He put up big numbers at Memphis last year, has grown into the role as a legit threat in the passing game, but also can do some blocking. But second, there was no other tight end option other than Michael Trigg. And so it was, if you're going to have a tight end in the game, Michael Trigg's going to be the guy. And then he was not healthy for over half the season. And when he did come back, he had no effect. You got a guy pushing him, then if Trigg doesn't take a massive step forward from where he was a year ago, he won't see the field. We know the athletic ability and the talent is there with Trigg. Is he going to take the next step in terms of doing the things that he's got to do to get on the field? That competition could be really important. Okay, what we do next? Keep it moving, buddy. You can be a part of Sports Talk Mississippi. 888 8637 on Super Talk Mississippi. Johnson sent me a text a little while ago with um, Southern Miss's starting lineup in it for tonight, and he noted that Christopher Sargent was not in the lineup, said he did not know if it was suspension-related or not. They're going with Etzel, the center fielder, leading off, Dustin Dickerson, 
who Luke opined perhaps would be suspended based on kind of being involved in the deal on Saturday. He is not. He's starting at shortstop and batting second. Slade Wilkes, the DH, batting third. Reese Ewing at left, batting fourth. Rodrigo Montenegro is catching and batting fifth. Carson Pato in right field, batting sixth. Uh, Matthew Russo, the first baseman, batting seventh. Danny Lynch, the third baseman, batting eighth. And Brady Faust, the second baseman, is batting ninth. Billy Oldham on the mound for Southern Miss tonight. So that's how the Golden Eagles will roll it out against Ole Miss. We'll have it pulled up. I'm sure that we have an Ole Miss lineup by now as well. Sorry, I know this is bad radio. Yeah, Groff, Gonzalez, Harris, Alderman, Clarko, Chatagnier, Furness, McCants, Udermark. There you go. I got it. I always forget that you have to talk, type coach in front of Mike Bianco to get his Twitter profile to pull up. So Groff and Center, is Leger just getting a night off, or is that? I don't know. I don't know. Numbers have not been uh, been great for uh, Ethan Leger so far this year. So Groff in center, Gonzalez at short, Harris catching, Alderman in left, Calarco at first, Chatagnier at second, Will Furness, D.H., McCants in right, Udermark at third with Sam Tacoyan getting the start on the mound. Hey, yeah, we got a uh, state lineup yet. Anything happen different there? Uh, not, a, not a lot of changes. Uh, uh, today we've got Hunter Hines at first and Luke Hancock behind the plate, so Ross Highfield's getting the day off. Dakota Jordan is in the uh, D.H. spot. And Connor Hijack getting his uh, second straight start at third base uh, for the Bulldogs. They trying to figure something out there. They started three different third basemen in three different games last weekend. Yeah. The Dakota Jordan thing's interesting, isn't it? Hot start, hit some massive shots, kind of disappears for a few weeks, maybe kind of getting back into the mix a bit. He's too talented to sit. I mean, the the ceiling is too high. He needs at bats to get better. I mean, his his issue right now is he has trouble with the breaking ball. The only thing that's going to fix that is at bats. Seeing you're losing anyway, might as well get ready for the you know getting getting the future going. Yeah. Um. Forky, we get a message on the ceasefire text line that says Walker Howard looks really really good. I get another message from a friend offline that says, Howard is QB1 isn't stretching all that far from what I'm told. Hmm. Now that would be a curveball. It would. Absolutely would. Dart was really confident today. He straight up said, I feel like I'm the starter, paraphrasing his quotes, but I feel like I'm the starter, I think this is my team, all that stuff. I mean, he seemed pretty confident and, and locked in, and I'm still fascinated by by that dynamic with Sanders and the injury and a competition that may not be right now because he's at, I mean again Kiffin embellishes all coaches do he's not unique in that none of them tell the full story about injuries ever none of them do so it's not an it's not a knock against Kiffin but even when he offers up the hey he's medically limited well then you're not having a competition between him and somebody else especially when that somebody else is the returning starter. It just doesn't that that doesn't compute. That doesn't make sense. But then, how does Greg McElroy say what he says today, which everybody's aggregating? How, how does Chris Lowe, when he's writing a story, and we all know about Chris Lowe and Lane Kiffin and their connection, doesn't even mention Jackson Dart in his latest article about? He actually did a if football was a sixty-four team field, and he actually filled out like a bracket 
and only mention Spencer Sanders and what Sanders mm-hmm. can do. And Chris Lowe is the one, remember, that did the whole if Lane leaves Ole Miss, it's because Auburn has more NIL money thing. You want to know where that came from? So why does Chris Lowe not even mention Jackson Dart? Why does Greg McElroy, who, you know, say what you will about Greg McElroy, he, he is a college football analyst for ESPN. He works directly with Cole Kublick and say what you want about Cole Kublick. Those guys do talk to people. They do know some things. Why is that the national... Wait, are people mad at those two guys? I mean, one, do you remember what Cole Kublick and, and those guys in the Auburn thing in the Arkansas game? Yes, Ole Miss fans still very much don't like Cole Kublick. Uh, and Cole's really good at his job. And Greg McElroy played quarterback at Alabama. Of course people don't like him. You know, one plus one equals two sometimes. But and Greg's pretty good at his job, too. So then why, why, why do they think that it's just a given when one of them can't even throw a football yet? It just, it does, that part of it doesn't make sense. I remember somebody on this show feeling pretty confident that uh, Dart wasn't going to be there in the fall. And, and every day I, I read stuff on, you know, it's just message board stuff, but now Borky's bringing it here. Like, maybe I was right. What, that Jackson Dart would be the starting quarterback in the fall? No, that Jackson Dart will be at a different school in the fall. Why would he leave? His competition can't throw. There's no competition right now. Well, Unless his competition is Walker Howard. We, well. Yeah, I shall see. What what if I'm just thinking out loud here. What if Lane Kiffin put all of those things out there? To people he knew he would get the word out. And every bit of it was designed to push Jackson Dart. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Not at all. He, 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 Kiffin, for as much as he hates the media, uses the media really well. The aforementioned Chris Lowe that used him really well during that Auburn deal. <laughs> he did. I don't know, man. It's it, but everything that you hear coming out of, like what you said, you talk to people that say Howard's been really good. For what it's worth, I've talked to people that have confirmed what Kiffin himself said: that Dart looks different. He looks better, confident, physically better, mentally better. That he has improved, and that Spencer Sanders' existence. I don't know has, why that should be a shock or a surprise to anybody. It shouldn't. He was 19 last year. He joined the Ole Miss football team in February of last year. In February, and and he was he was 19 years old. I mean, growing pain should be expected with young quarterbacks. They should, and so improvement shouldn't surprise you at all. And Dart himself today mentioned Matt Corral. The the Corral jump from his first year under Kiffin to year two, dramatically different. Yeah. He was much smarter with the football. That that was the biggest jump Corral made. It wasn't physical. It was he was much smarter with the ball. Made much better decisions. Dart needs to be smarter with the ball. Uh, Brad in Burnsville says if Dart didn't improve in the offseason, he wasn't going to start. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, I don't think that's an unreasonable take. 
But that's not all that different than anywhere else, is it? I mean, you've seen in the past quarterbacks not improve from one year to the next, but, you know, it is possible. If if Rodgers isn't better in the offseason than he was a year ago, I mean, I don't know who would take that job from him necessarily, but hey, Dad, Will Rogers needed to improve from the end of last year to the start of this year, especially going into a new offense. Absolutely. I mean, Jaden Daniels wasn't losing his job in Baton Rouge, period, right? I mean, he's he's proven. Yeah. That's a different Jefferson story. Locked in. Yeah. When you're a multi year starter, it's a different thing. Matt Corral, if he had not improved from his sophomore third third year as a sophomore to his fourth year as a junior. He wasn't losing that job. He was the he was the incumbent starting quarterback who had had a good year. But in terms of guys that finish a year where it's clear they need to get better, if they don't get better in an offseason, then there you go. Hey, here's what's really like down the road fascinating to me. Let's assume that Jackson Dart wins the starting job. That last year's starting quarterback who returns for another year obviously holds on to his job and is the starter. And let's say he's good, but he's not like all SEC good. Let's just say he has a really good season, really solid season. But not good enough to make a run at the NFL. What about a year from now? When... Walker Howard perhaps has had a year as a backup and has continued to grow and get better. If Jackson Dart was the starter all of last year, which he was, is the starter all of this year, could he potentially lose his job going into a last season? I don't know. That that could be quite Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi. Will you ever get so excited that you just can't wait? Sports Talk Mississippi, covering your Mississippi team. I've been waiting my whole life for this. Don't touch that dial. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Big slate of games tonight. For baseball involving SEC and Mississippi teams, and some of them are downright sexy. Tennessee leads UNC Asheville in the bottom of the seventh, four to nothing. Western Kentucky has a two nothing lead over the Kentucky Wildcats in Bowling Green, at the top of the third. How about this? No. Number twenty one Texas at Texas A and M. Where they have a flyover scheduled, what, what, what did I read that plane with? Like a C-5 Galaxy? It's the largest plane in the Air Force's fleet. They had a C-130 that flew over before their game against LSU to open conference play, and it looked like it was going to clip one of the light standards. It was so low. I can't imagine how loud that was. Anyway, Texas and Texas A&M. That game's on the SEC Network. First pitch, 6 o'clock, 
Clay Matfick and uh, Kyle Peterson from their houses. Yeah, was the Ole Miss Florida Sunday game called from home? Yep. You can tell. I, I asked. I already knew the answer. You can tell. Of course you can tell. And By the way, first round of layoffs for Disney slash ESPN is coming this week. Lovely. To, uh, across Disney, they're laying off 4,000 people or 7,000 people. can't remember. Trying to trim $5.5 billion from the uh, budget. I think it's let you go. That's just your salary, isn't it? Well, That's only half. Only half. Hey, they'll still uh, produce podcasts where they talk about presidential indictments, though. That's that's what we want from the worldwide leader in sports is is that. That'll stick around, though. But, hey, we'll keep having broadcasters call games from their houses in which she says, that crowd looks great. I wish I could see it. So that adds to the game for sure. I just love it when you embrace the, the cross money heel persona. I, I, I like that. just want to let you know. Lipscomb is at Vanderbilt tonight. Middle Tennessee is at Alabama. Ole Miss and Southern Miss, all of those games get started at 6 o'clock. Also a 6 o'clock start for Sanford and Mississippi State. I aired earlier when I said 6.30. Forgive me. Um, dumb question. Must win tonight? I mean, <laughs> m- must meaning so, what? So there's two ways to look at this. One, if if you truly believe Mississippi State could find a way to turn it around, then yes, it's must win. But but if you don't, then no, it's not because who cares? You lose all you want, nothing changes. They lost to them last year. Omaha's at Nebraska at uh, Arkansas. Ooh, did they really? I hope Omaha's at Nebraska. I would hate for it to move. Omaha's at Arkansas. North Alabama at Auburn. Look out. Boo to this. Florida, Florida State has been postponed. They were supposed to play in Jacksonville tonight. Look out, Borky. South Carolina at the Citadel. Uh Uh-oh. In Charleston tonight. Yeah, wind's going to be blowing in because it always does there at the Joe. Grambling at LSU. Ooh, Missouri at Illinois. In Saugat, Illinois tonight. So, who's tonight's game in Pearl more important for? Since we asked the must-win question about State, who's it more important for? I mean, Southern Miss did get their series win this weekend, but last week was tough, especially with that midweek loss. And for Ole Miss, you know, SEC schedule is going to be what makes or breaks them getting into the postseason. At least you think it is. And a loss to Southern Miss in a neutral site certainly won't hurt you. But, my gosh, don't they need some forward momentum? I I think it's bigger for Ole Miss. And that's not like a... I mean, if you want to tell me it's bigger for Southern Miss, I'm not going to argue with you. Southern Miss is higher in the uh, the RPI. They are 56. Ole Miss is 63. This is a game where if you win on a neutral site, you might actually get a pretty decent bump in terms of the RPI. I think it's more important for Ole Miss. I, I I don't know. Maybe when you start thinking about evaluating a resume for an NCAA tournament, 
maybe the win over Ole Miss would mean more for Southern Miss than a win over Southern Miss would mean for Ole Miss. And this maybe. drops if Southern Miss loses, they're fourteen and ten. Mm-hmm. If Ole Miss loses, they're fifteen and ten. But but, but yes, to, to because point, of the schedule and the, and all yeah. that, a gazillion opportunities remaining. Yes. But again, and Luke pointed this out earlier, you got a bunch of Sunbelt teams that are in the top 100 of the RPI. This is not like past years where Southern Miss, there were three weekends where they had to go a combined seven and two in those three weekends to give themselves a chance because those were the only three top 50 teams in the RPI on the schedule the rest of the way. I mean, just a little bit different year. A new normal. I mean, Coastal Carolina and the Sun Belt's 30 in the RPI. Troy and the Sun Belt is 32. That's the opponent this weekend. UTSA is thir- uh, UTSA's Conference USA, aren't they? Or did, did they make the move to the Sun Belt? Did UTSA move or no? No. No. No, no. They're still in Conference USA. Um, Old Dominion's 42. Old Dominion made the move, didn't they? Yeah, they're in the Sun Belt now. Sorry, I'm still having to double check on the conference affiliations on some of these. So Texas State, you mentioned the Coastal Series, and Southern Miss is on the road in Conway, if I remember correctly. Uh, Southern Miss lost the series to Texas State, right? On the road. Coastal Carolina this past weekend uh, actually lost the series, but in their two wins, the scores were 19 to nothing and 13 to 6. Mm-hmm. Lost the finale ten to eight. Mm. So a random butt kicking from the Chanticleers. Yeah, and that really nice ballpark that you've been to, by the way. Yeah, what's the name of that stadium? Springbrook Stadium. Is that right? Or is that the football stadium? The founder of Hooters gave him a bunch of money for it. Springbrooks Stadium at Vrooman Field. There you go. I don't remember the Vrooman Field part, but it was a very cool spot to uh, to check out. They're doing good things there at Coastal Carolina. That's going to be a formidable opponent in both baseball and football in perpetuity for for Southern Miss. That. I think they might have a little bit of staying power. They've really invested in, in everything there. I know Chadwell's gone, but they might they might be some a force to be reckoned with in the Sun Belt for a while. In all sports? I, mean, I don't know about basketball, but baseball you've already seen the investment yourself, but in football too. They've uh, Chadwell winning has kind of changed the school's approach to football there. Yeah. They really care now. Hey, did you guys see that uh, there are multiple $6 billion bids for the Washington Commanders football team? Not surprised. There, there is one group that includes Magic Johnson as an investor. Oh, oh God. That one's going to win, right? He's that, that was the one that was submitted today? 
Yeah, the Josh Harris-Mitchell Rails Group, which now includes Magic Johnson, officially submitted a fully financed bid for the Washington Commanders that meets Dan Snyder's $6 billion asking price. Canadian billionaire Steve Aposta... Uh, hold on. <laughs> Apost- Here it comes. Apostopolis, I think. Okay. Can I sure. buy a vowel? Has submitted a fully funded six billion dollar offer, and then the Cross Til- Legacy Group came in at five point nine. No consideration. Tillman Fertitta kicking the tires a little bit as well. The owner of the Houston Rockets and the quasi owner of the Houston Cougars as well. By the way, quasi. I mean, it's he said quasi. Like yeah, quasi. You prefer? It's quite, that's what I prefer. That's what it is. The last time an NFL team sold, <laughs> it was the Denver Broncos for $4.65 billion. How valuable are sports franchises? Since then, that was just a couple of years ago, the Washington Commanders are commanding $1 billion $350 million more than the Dink- uh, than the Denver Broncos got from Walmart money. There might not be a safer investment, of course, that we can't partake in than a pro sports franchise. By the way, Dan Snyder bought the Washington Redskins at the time in 1999 for $800 million. That's a return on investment. Dot FM. Communication system is a go. go. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Exactly. Back again with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Thanks for being with us. Sports Talk Mississippi brought to you in part by Genteel Apparel. You can find them online at genteelapparel.com. They've got the new spring collection in and, of course, the collegiate collection. And uh, that is where you get the uh, the great-looking gear that has your favorite team's logo on it in a very attractive uh, way. No, No big gaudy, huge logos. Low-key. Tasteful. Subtle. Uh, Genteel is the official apparel provider of Sports Talk Mississippi. Check out their website at genteelapparel.com. Hey, Dad, are you uh, are you paying attention? Quasi. Genteel Apparel. Quasi. No. Quasi. No Quasi. No way. You went to... Quasi. Quasi. No. Quasi. The dude is wrong. Quasi. The woman is right. Well, welcome to life. That's true. True story. Yes. Uh, either pronunciation appears to be correct. Whichever you That's the first time I've ever heard quasi. Hmm. Should get out more. Dr. Evil said quasi, so I, I go with quasi. 
Those are ridiculous and stupid and somehow so funny movies. Those movies are great. I just I, I laugh and it's like, why am I laughing? This is so dumb, but it's funny. I'll tell us a quick story here. Twice I have been asked to provide a bio for myself for this company. And both times I emailed them the direct quote of Dr. Evil at the therapy group. It was like, where does one begin? I spent summers in Rangoon, you know, things like that. So, And they didn't put it on your bio? <laughs> no, I, I couldn't. I, I left. I, I ended it right before he started talking about, uh, you know, some particular grooming areas. But other than that, it was it was word for word. Yeah. My mother had webbed feet. <laughs> so. did she, she seriously did that? Yes. <laughs> I sent one to Alex and one to JT. Um, oh, man. I said to Brian, hate it. Hey, Borky, you were uh, a little tardy on our call this morning. It's okay. Things happen. Not mad at you. Just, it, it, you just didn't hear his face. just turned his life. Like he just insulted his mother. And uh, and so Hey Dad was sitting in his uh, chair in which he always sits. And I said, what you eating? It's cereal. Cheerios. Cheerios. And I Cheerios. I mean, they were very crunchy. I said, dry Cheerios? And he said, yeah, I don't like milk. I said, wait, you don't put milk on cereal? And he said, I don't like milk. I was like, what about some sort of non-dairy substitute? Nope. I was like, hold on a second. You pour the cereal into a bowl... And you still eat it with a spoon, but without any form of liquid on the cereal. Yeah. Wait, yeah. okay, that, that's psychotic behavior. You you eat it with what? a spoon out of a bowl with no milk? What's the point? Just put it in a cup? Well, I just go in with my hands and eat no, cereal? put it in a cup. And just... live. I'm a dry no, cereal no. guy myself. I, I, I Cups are for drinking, not for eating. Yeah, but like if you've got plastic stadium cups in your house. That's pop I cereal do, in that. But no. Oh, I do that all the time. I'll get crackling oat I brain do that. and eat an entire box dry. Oat brain, huh? Crackling? What does that like? Oh, it's awesome. Or oh, whatever. It's bran. Oh, whatever. That the it's there's no eye in it. It's the rectangles. It's quasi brain. Yeah, it's the, it's the rectangles, and they are so good. And I will eat an entire box in one sitting easily. I'll put. Keeps I've got a Mississippi too. Brave Stadium cup that I have to fill up. Like, I eat about half of the cup and then have to fill it up again, and that will do the entire box, and I will eat that in one sitting. Without I told Brian about Hayden, it. though, I said, I have come to the conclusion that the more I learn about you, the more fascinated with I, I am of you. I said, a human I'm case study man in the world is one that would be worth reading, without question. Hey, Sports Talk also is brought to you in part by Visit Not Oxford. Find them online at visitoxfordms.com. Be sure to follow them on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook for updates on all that's going on. You visit their page, you can see the uh, link to the Double Decker Arts Festival with the full music lineup and the schedule of events that's coming up at the end of April. We will be in Oxford on Friday, April 28th, for our annual live remote at the Double Decker uh, the Double Decker Arts Festival on the square in Oxford. Thanks to our friends at visitoxfordms.com. Baseball tonight. Quasi excited for it. State 
and Samford, a battle of the Bulldogs at Duty Noble. Rebels and Golden Eagles about to go first pitch in Pearl at Trustmark Park. We'll talk about the outcomes tomorrow and a whole lot more with you. Thanks to Kendall Rogers, Luke Johnson, and Richard Williams for joining us on the Farm Bureau guest line. For Michael Borky and Brian Haydad, I'm Richard Cross. Adios. Eat dry cereal. Running a business is tough. If you're struggling with HR benefits and payroll, you're not alone. Many businesses just don't have the resources to keep up. That's where MWG Employer Services comes in. We provide a full range of employer services with everything from payroll to benefits to HR services and compliance and can create a custom plan that fits your needs and budget. We're a Mississippi-based company that can help you focus on what you do best, growing your business. Call MWG Employer Services today at 601-206-7966 or go to MWG Employer Services A Super Talk Mississippi media production.